Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Frank Wong. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, we're so glad that you're here with us. We're in the middle of a series following Jesus' life, mostly chronologically. Uh, We've been going through the Gospels, mostly in Luke, but this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, that'd be great. And then once you find uh, Matthew chapter 5, you can turn all the way into the Old Testament to find Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26 as well. We'll be spending some time there as well. And uh, just a a sort of personal note um, before we get going, uh, many of you may have seen on Realm that my best friend had his twins on Friday morning, and they've come very premature at 30 weeks. Um, They are understandably on edge (laughs) about the whole thing, but they were able to hold them uh, yesterday, which was a great blessing. Uh, But for me, uh, this has dredged up a lot of feelings uh, based on sort of the way that Nathaniel came into this world, uh, oh gosh, seven years ago, uh, as you guys walked with us through that. And so... um, you know, as we have, as I have sort of talked to my best friend about what they're going through, I've been struck by the need to walk and see the Lord's face through all of this, as I did seven years ago and as I continue to do every, uh, every day. But it's sort of a little different when you're facing sort of crisis situations. And as we sort of think about sort of delivery and um, sort of twins that have come Far away, we also think of uh, a baby that's come to come soon. Uh, as we think about uh, Bill and Marie Atkins, they're due very, very soon, probably within the next week, week and a half or so. Uh, it was somewhat scary for them the first time around as well. And so as they come into this season of uh, welcoming this little one, we pray that um, we'll... You'll keep, um, the Lord will keep Marie safe through this and the baby as well. So be praying for them uh, this week and, and a little bit into next week maybe as well. But let's turn our attention to the Lord's word now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, we ask to see your face. We ask to see Jesus because we live lives that are full of anxiety, full of um, scary things that can, that can happen. We are a, a profoundly insecure people. And Lord, for uh, my best friend and for Bill and Marie, they are right in the midst 
of living that out, placing their very lives and the lives of their loved ones in your hands. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with them. But as we come, Lord, as we come not only to your word, but later to your table, we pray that you would meet us, that you would show yourself mighty and powerful, that we might see the goodness of your grace in the gospel by the power of your Holy Spirit. Transform us through that vision, through that sight of seeing you, we pray. And so, Lord, open our eyes that we might see Jesus in your gospel here in Matthew chapter 5 and see what it means to be blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I think in our congregation, we have a number of voracious readers. Uh, The speed with which many of you read is quite astounding and pretty incredible to me in particular because I tend to be a really slow reader. Um, And an even slower digester of what I read Back in seminary, I had to read something like a thousand pages per credit hour or something like that is what the sort of uh, the, the standard is. And so any particular week, I'd have to sit down and read something like 150 to 300 pages of some really dense theology, right? Sort of Herman Bovink's Reformed Dogmatics was like this four-volume tome of systematic theology. And so I'd sit down and I'd read... And I'd read, and I'd read, and about an hour in, I'd look up and I'd say, okay, I've been reading for an hour. How far have I made it? Two pages. (laughs) Because what would happen is I would read, I would read, and I'd read, and I'd read, and I'd be like, that's awesome, that's wonderful, that's amazing. I got absolutely nothing out of that. I need to reread this, whatever I've read. So I'd reread it again, and I'm like, ah, that's great, but still nothing. And I'd, I'd sort of go back and reread and reread, and I just wouldn't be able to get my head around what this lovely theologian, who is eminently awesome, what he was saying. And sometimes when we get to really familiar passages like this, like the Beatitudes, I feel that way, where I read it, I'm like, that's awesome. And then I go to articulate what it actually means and what it specifically means, and I'm like, uh, that was great. It shows me Jesus. Great. Fantastic. And so this, this week, as we were sort of preparing, as I was preparing the sermon, it was sort of like that. What am I going to say? What do these things actually say? They're wonderful and awesome, and they sort of soothe our souls, and they're great for us, but what do they actually mean? And most of us have that sort of cursory understanding of the Beatitudes. It's good to be sort of poor in spirit. It's good to be meek, to be poor, uh, to be pure in heart, merciful, and to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Great. Got it. Let's do that. But what about mourning? How is that good? What, what, What about being persecuted and reviled? That doesn't sound great, but I can sort of see how that's good if I can persecuted for righteousness' sake. But... There is so much more here than just the list of good things to do. And even if they are good, how do we do them? And so as we look more closely at the Beatitudes, I think we're going to need to answer a couple of questions first. We need to ask, what does it mean to be blessed? And then how are we blessed? And only then can we understand what's going on here in Matthew chapter 5. So what does it mean to be blessed How do we define the word blessed or blessed, depending on the way that you want to 
say it? What does it mean to be in the state of blessedness? We don't tend to use the word blessed or blessed all that much outside of responses to sneezes or to relate to a feeling of sort of satisfaction or well-being. We use it like how blessed we were to be able to go on vacation to wherever. Right? And so some translators, for this reason, translate the word blessed or blessed as happy. But that really severely undersells the depth and intensity of the word. Blessedness to the Hebrew reader is so much more. Blessedness is, as R.C. Sproul puts it, the supreme dimension of happiness. It is not a passing fit of glee or delight, but it is something that penetrates to the deepest chambers of the soul by which the soul is overwhelmed by a sense of sweetness, delight, satisfaction, and contentment that knows no bounds. Now that's a weighty word. That's a, that's a little bit more than just, I'm happy, or happy is the one. Which brings us to how we are blessed in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. There we get a standard benediction from the Old Testament. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This standard Old Testament benediction was structured in the Hebrew literary form called parallelism. There are three pairs in parallel, and these three pairs say the same thing in different ways. And thus we can see what blessedness really means in the Hebrew context. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord lift his, up his countenance upon you. Those three things all say the same thing. And so blessedness in the Jewish understanding, true blessedness is to be brought into the immediate presence of God and to behold and bask in his glory, his unveiled glory. Basically, that we should be able to be restored to intimacy with God in such a way that we can behold him face to face. That's what true blessedness means. And we can finally... Now that we understand what true blessedness really means, we can get back to Matthew chapter 5 and see what it means to then be blessed because that word bless or blessed starts every single one of the Beatitudes. And as we look at this list of nine Beatitudes, I think that there's a picture being painted to those who are blessed. And it's important to say that Jesus isn't talking about separate groups of people as if there are people who are poor in spirit over here and people who mourn over here. No, this is meant to paint a singular picture of blessedness that has many facets. And so let's quickly go through each of them. So blessed are the poor in spirit. This points to humility and poverty of spirit. The word poor means beggarly poor. People that have a knowing dependence and neediness that understand their situation before a a perfect and just God. It also points to a self-forgetfulness that comes from knowing that you can't do things by your own strength. What about blessed who are who those who mourn? The mourning here isn't a call to be sort of a miserable, grim, cheerless Christian, right? Some of us understand what it means to be the frozen chosen. That's not what this is call, calling you to. Right? Nor is this mourning referring to those who are uh, in anguish over the difficulties of life. There are things that are hard, and we ought to mourn over those things. 
But this is not what Jesus is referring to. Rather, this is a mourning over sin and the effects of sin that produce brokenness and suffering. Blessed are the meek. It's often said that meekness is not weakness. Rather, meekness is the strength to not return evil for evil. One commentator says that meekness is a tender steel that brings gentleness and stability. This, in some ways, is in some ways an extension of our poverty of spirit. In meekness, our own personal resources, our strengths, our talents, our abilities are not leveraged for our own advantage or advancement, but for the care of others. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This at last is plainly clear. We are called to desire righteousness and to pursue it and to have a taste for it. We just welcome three new members, and each of our members, and thus many of you as well, have taken a vow to live as befits a follower of Christ. This desire to live righteously ought to be the prevailing tone in our lives. Sure, we will have sin and seasons of wandering, but the Christian life is marked by repentance, a turn from sin and turn toward righteousness because that's what we want and need and yearn for, which is righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is compassion embodied. Mercy is to give help to the wretched, to relieve the condition of the miserable. It's not just a feeling, but it's an action as a result of feelings of care and compassion. So blessed are those who not only feel things, but then also do something about it. Blessed are the pure in heart. This calls to mind Psalm 24, where we get this familiar phrase, who shall ascend to the the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's the source text for one of the songs that we often sing, give us clean hands. We're talking about a, a sort of internal cleansing and purity here. Blessed are the peacemakers. Here, the peace part refers to shalom, which is much more than simply being the mediator between two conflicting sides. It's a deep and abiding peace that brings with it wholeness and completeness of life. The maker part means that it's not just to experience peace, to passively receive it, but to be a source of peace as well. The last two Beatitudes go together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This blessedness comes in large part from living like the other seven Beatitudes, the countercultural nature of being poor in spirit, to reject the cheap and counterfeit peace that comes from seeking ourselves, our own advancement, and our own kingdom brings with it conflict. Sinners reject that which is good and godly. And so to be persecuted for being righteous and not for being a jerk, which we would then, of course, deserve, but, being for, but for being righteous shows our allegiance to God and not to ourselves. The persecution that we receive, if it's received for righteousness' sake, is not because of us, but because of God, their rejection of God. And so as we get persecuted, it shows our allegiance, and who actually sits on the throne of our life. If it's us sitting on the throne of our lives, we will not be good enough to be persecuted. But if it's Jesus 
hopefully then we will be persecuted because it will show that, in fact, we are like him and deserving of persecution. And so as we look at this sort of character portrait, as we look at the many facets of one group of people, we can't help but think about the one who is speaking. We can't help but see Jesus' character in the Beatitudes. And that really, the Beatitudes are just a self-portrait of Jesus. Jesus is the one who fits these characteristics. Let's talk about poor in spirit. Jesus was the epitome of humility. He didn't think about himself. And he shows us a beggarly dependence upon God's goodness on the cross as he identifies with his wretched and sinful people. He calls out to the Lord and commits his spirit to his heavenly Father completely. He is completely dependent on the Lord God, the Father, to deliver him. And he's confident in him. He has humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, as Philippians 2 puts it. Jesus was never about stroking his ego. Even as he essentially talks about himself here in Matthew chapter 5, he's not doing it to say, look at me in a sort of haughty or prideful sense. Rather, he's saying, look at me as I show you what it looks like to be godly. Again, that seeing God face-to-face aspect of blessedness is coming through. Jesus knows we need to be like him, so he's telling us what he's like. What about those who mourn? Jesus at many points mourned over sin and the effects of sin. He famously wept over Lazarus and the effect of sin and and the death that comes with it. But he also wept over Jerusalem, over their sinfulness. From Luke chapter 19, we get this. Would that you, that is Jerusalem, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You see, again, the malediction that comes from not seeing God face to face, for not receiving Christ as the very image of the living God. The blindness to Christ is is the opposite of blessedness. And then meekness. Jesus is the picture of meekness, of tender steel, as as we put it earlier. He's fully in control at every point, from his trial to his beatings, to his crucifixion. Jesus is absolutely in control, and he goes to the cross willingly and happily. And that strength of conviction, that strength to not sort of revile in turn the evil that he is receiving. Remember, Jesus is God Almighty. He can call down legions of angels to put to death those who harm him. And he does not do that, but instead he goes to the cross in, a, in the ultimate picture of strength under control. That strength is not for his own comfort, obviously, but leverage for your and my salvation from sin and death. And as for hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we could turn back a few chapters um, to Jesus' time in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. There he was hungry. Having not eaten for 40 days, he's hungry. And yet that first temptation to turn rocks into bread is met by a greater hunger for righteousness before the Lord. And thus, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which brings us to mercy, a compassion that leads to action to relieve misery. 
That's the whole point of Jesus' presence with us. That's why he's here. He has looked upon us like sheep without a shepherd, and he is not content to leave us alone. And so he came, and he lived, and he died, all for us that we might be restored unto him. And if that's not mercy, I don't know what is. The next one is almost ridiculous to talk about because Jesus is perfection, right? Purity of heart seems obvious when talking about Jesus, but what we sometimes miss is the wonder of that perfection. Jesus had countless laws to fulfill. He had sinful people to interact and deal with. There are so many times that the injustice of having to suffer for someone else's sin causes me to sin both either outwardly or within my own heart. And that's never Jesus, not even a little bit. And he does it because he wants to be a peacemaker. And Jesus is, of course, the ultimate peacemaker. He's not just interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God, but he's the source of our peace, of our shalom. And he does it in the face of not just the consequences of other people's sinfulness, right, but their willful targeting of him. It's one thing to be caught in the proverbial crossfire of somebody else's sin, to sort of be collateral damage, if you will. That happens all the time. Each and every one of us understands what it means to sort of be collateral damage for somebody else's sin. It's something completely different to be targeted. And Jesus was absolutely reviled and persecuted. His holiness, his goodness, his perfection were so obvious that sinners could not stand to be in his presence. Such was the reflection of their own sin off of them. They couldn't stand to be in his presence because of the way that they, he made them feel about themselves. They couldn't take the mirror that he was upon their own actions and souls. And so they did everything that they could to get rid of him, all the way to murdering him on a cross. And this is what it means to be blessed, to be in the very presence of God, to see him face to face without the veil protecting us, to bask in his glory and presence as we were meant to be. Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 5 that you don't have to go up to him for that. Rather, he has come down for you. This is where the gospel comes in. You see, that blessedness that Jesus receives for being all of these things, wasn't meant for himself. When Jesus receives the kingdom promised in verse 3, that's in fact you. The kingdom of God is found in you. When he's comforted in verse 4, he's comforted knowing that his beloved is restored to him. That's you. When he inherits the earth in chapter 5, that's you. When he is satisfied in verse 6, his soul rests and rejoices in having you. When he receives mercy in verse 7, it is the deliverance from the anguish of having those whom he loves bound in slavery to sin. That's you. When he sees God in verse 8, he doesn't just stand there in glory and intimacy that are his in his resurrection, but he is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding for you. When he's called the Son of God, highly exalted, and is given the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, when he receives all of that, his eyes are fixed upon his beloved bride, the church. That is you and me. And with that authority as a son of God, he calls, into his pres- he calls us into his presence and adopts us into God's household. That's the gospel. That God, who is rich in mercy, would go to the cross for wretched sinners like you and me, would be raised in newness of life and glory, and then would be united to us for his great joy. That's how we're blessed. We come into the presence, glory, and delight of God when we are united to Christ. Friends, this is what it means to be blessed on this side of the cross. It means to belong body and soul to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It means to be made more and more into his image through, the, through a life of repentance and sanctification. It means to delight, as Christ does, in bearing the name of Jesus. We have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but it is Christ who lives within me. Do you see the intimacy that we have with God now in Christ Jesus? Do you see the fact that the Lord Jesus has made his face to shine upon us in our union with him? Do you see the countenance of God, the light and, of, and his glory of, of the light and glory of God being set upon you through his grace and mercy? To be a Christian is to be blessed beyond measure by being with Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful day it is to be found in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang that multiple times, right? We just sang, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Why? Because we are in his presence. And today is that day because we are found in Christ Jesus. And as we prepare to come to this table, is there a better description of the Christian life than these verses here in in Matthew chapter 5? There is a call to rightly examine our hearts of all ungodliness. We are to come to this table with a poverty of spirit, knowing that our dependence is upon him for all things. And yet, as we mourn over our sin, we come with quiet assurance that he who is gracious will comfort and satisfy us, that we will receive mercy and be called sons and heirs of the living God, that truly in Christ the kingdom of heaven is ours. Friends, we don't have a snowball's chance in hell of being blessed apart from from Christ. We have no chance of seeing God face to face to bask in his glory and to to be restored to that which we were made for without seeing Jesus. We're not poor in spirit, but rather think of ourselves all the time. We're not grieving over our sin. We're not self-controlled. We're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but rather protect our pet sins. We're not merciful. It's too inconvenient. We're not pure in heart, and we're certainly not peacemakers. Rather, we tend to cause conflict rather than resolve it. And lastly, we are certainly not so good that people hate us because they hate seeing their own sin contrasted by our righteousness. If blessedness is achieved by seeing God face to face, I can't get to him as I am. But thank the Lord that he doesn't stay up there, but rather comes down to bring that blessedness to us while we are yet sinners. 
And so let us prepare to come to this table with both repentance and with joy that he who is faithful has drawn near. That's what it means to be blessed. Let's pray. Father God, it is true that we we don't live up to the words that you call us to be in Matthew chapter 5. It's true that we are not poor in spirit, that we are not humble, that we do not mourn over our sin, and on and on it goes. And yet, Lord, it is to people like us that you have come. Come to save us from our sin. And Lord, as we come to this table soon, would you remind us that you do not stay up in heaven, but that you have come for us. That you have come for us not when we're righteous, but when we're sinful. And Lord, we pray that this morning, as, as we look at this self-portrait of Jesus, that we would come to see him face to face. That we would know him and love him as Lord and Savior. And that we would be transformed by your presence in our life. That we might be made more and more like him and more and more like you. That we would become increasingly blessed, not just by the Jesus that we see in the pages of this book, but also in the Jesus, by the Jesus that we see in each other and fellow brothers and sisters of Christ around us. So Lord, show us your son. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.